Telefalava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Wau Okoroe Hawkins. Coming up first. Well, it's a surprise the way it has been done because normally any appointment in the judiciary is always advertised. Concerns over controversial judicial appointment in Kiribati also. So it could be weeks and months after a disaster before any substantial monetary relief flows. We look at a new climate insurance solution in place for the coming cyclone season. And later on... You know, England's a really, really good team. And it'll be a big test for us, but yeah, we'll give it everything to um, get the win. Papua New Guinea qualify for the quarterfinals of the Rugby League World Cup, where Pacific teams are well represented. The New Zealand Law Society and the New Zealand Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade have both spoken out about Kiribati's appointment of the Attorney General, Tesiro Semilota, as the Acting Chief Justice. This comes because of the suspension of New Zealand's William Hastings as Chief Justice after he found in favour of another expatriate judge, Australian David Lambourne. The Kiribati government had tried to deport Judge Lambourne after taking exception to his rulings He's the husband of the opposition leader, Tessie Lambourne. The New Zealand Law Society says the appointment of the Attorney General to such a post challenges the independence of the judiciary and the constitutional separation of powers that is fundamental to a functioning democracy. An MFAT spokesperson says judicial independence is crucial for any healthy democracy. Don Wiseman asked Kiribati's first president and current opposition MP, Sir Iremaya Tabai, what he makes of this appointment. Well, for many people, it's a, uh, a surprise the way it has been done because normally any appointment to the government and particularly to the post in the, in the judiciary is always advertised, either locally or overseas. In this case, there was no advertisement. You can assume that government had decided just to pick up its own choice, which I think uh, it's a, a questionable act on part of the government. To zero, is she a qualified lawyer? Well, the government has determined she's qualified, but uh, as I said, I spoke to a few uh, lawyers in, in the country, and they rarely see her in court, because uh, she's an AG, but she sits in the office and so on, but she rarely appears in the court, in their view, it would have helped if she had been, in actual fact, an active participant in, in the court. But that's the view of, of some people. Will she remain as the Attorney General while she's the Chief Justice acting? I can't answer that. I can't answer that, I'm afraid. Only time will tell. Because in the House, the Parliament meeting is going to meet in early in December, and we are going to know then whether she's still an AG or not. Is she just acting? Do you think it's a permanent appointment? That, again, I, I can't answer that because the, I'm a bit confused by the word acting because we have to ask the government what does I mean, that mean. Acting, is, is it a permanent appointment or just acting until the you know, another judge is appointed? We don't know that, but the word acting is confusing to me anyway. It's quite a weird situation, isn't it? There's no judges at all. There's now a Chief Justice supposedly in place, this acting Chief Justice. But what are they going to do about judges? Since all of of the High Court judges had been foreigners, what will they do? You know, the question is still to be answered. 
and we opened the next house going to Risa. I see her more. She was very active in, in government in the last few months, and we must regard her as a, a party to a decision not to respect the judgment of, of the Court of Appeal. That's our view. And in that way, she's not qualified, in my view. She is not independent. I know we've talked before about the lack of information that the general population is getting on these sorts of matters. What knowledge is there out there now, do you think, about such an appointment? Well, it has been uh, announced, I understand, in the, in the radio and the, in the social media. They know now that she has been appointed acting uh, CJ. But uh, as I said uh, before, those people who are active in, in the process of government and so on, as I said, expressed some surprise at the decision by government. We can only say that the government has chosen somebody who is close to them. The opposition, back in September, you were looking to try and have a vote of no confidence in the government and you got stymied, didn't you? What will you do now? It's up to the party, but uh, I guess we're going to consider again the possibility of reinstating that uh, our motion again. Our members are, are all over the place now and within the next two weeks we expect to, to assemble here in Tarawa and discuss the issues that we want to discuss in in the next meeting of parliament. That meeting is when? The actual meeting of parliament is on the 6th of December. We are supposed to be in in Tara officially two weeks before then. So I expect that within the next week or so, we'll all assemble here for the purpose of of the next meeting of parliament. The opposition, does the opposition see what's happened here with the judiciary and the attempt to deport David Lamborn as an attack on the opposition, given that uh, Mr Lamborn is married to Mrs Lamborn? Oh, of course, we know very well that all the fuss now is because uh, Jesse is our leader. Soon after the last general election, we were told that they went to our mom to her constituency and tried to persuade her to join government side, and she refused. Yes, we fully understand, I mean, the whole controversy is because of the fact that David is husband of the leader of the machine, and that's the reason we are in dismiss. The French Prime Minister, Elizabeth Bourne, says her meeting with New Caledonia's anti-independence leaders in Paris marks the beginning of discussions on the future status of New Caledonia. The meeting was called as the decolonization process under the 1998 Numea Accord had concluded with rejection of full sovereignty in last December's third referendum on independence from France. All key parties were invited to chart the next step, but the pro-independence FLNKS stayed away from the gathering, labelled the Convention of Partners. RNZ Pacific senior journalist Walter Swifel has been following developments. Kira Walter, what's the significance of this meeting? Well, this was the first meeting under the new government in France with the politicians from New Caledonia. Uh, the first meeting since the referendum last year when a majority of voters decided against full sovereignty. It was uh, seen as the, the, the first big step to chart a path forward. Invited were all leaders from New Caledonia plus civil society and uh, parties that are not privy to the inner circle of the Numia Accord arrangement. But anyway, this, this planned meeting by the French Prime Minister was only attended by the anti-independent side. The pro-independent side had said that they would go to Paris, but uh, 
reneged at, uh, in the last two weeks before the meeting. So in the end, it was a one-sided meeting where the tripartite gathering of French state, anti-independence party, pro-independence party was just falling short because one key party was not there. That is the FNNKS. Just looking at some of the language coming out of that meeting, though, it still seems that France is very much set on this moving forward to a future, a, a different and future stat, statute for, for New Caledonia than what has existed in the past. Well, there has to be a new statute because the Numia Court, that the arrangement that was put in place in 1998, has come to an end with the three referendums. So they have to find a new statute. Uh, the understanding from the anti-independent side is that France will now take over New Caledonia or New Caledonia will not be outside France because that was the outcome of the referendum. And now they have to find a new statute, a new arrangement that will incorporate New Caledonia within France. Uh, the pro-independent side's position is that they don't recognize the outcome of the referendum. They say that should not have been held because of the circumstances at the time of the pandemic last year. And so we have a, a political uh, obstruction from the FLN case and a legal situation uh, from the anti-independent side. While both sides, of course, have to agree there has to be a new statute and a new way forward. The anti-independent side, as I said, wants New Caledonia to be reintegrated into France. Pro-independent side, on the other hand, wants to have negotiations with France uh, to attain this emancipation or independence that was the premise of the Nomi Accord, that, you know, to and, and process under the United Nations supervision, uh, ending to the decolonization. Uh, what shape that was to take or is to take is, is uncertain, but we have positions are not fully compatible at the moment and they've not been and the question is now how you can bring these two sides together to find a way forward that is acceptable to both sides. Now, another really important consideration with all of this, regardless of whether decolonization is achieved or not, is the the protected electoral rolls, which if opened up under, under any sort of a future statute would render the indigenous Canex minorities in their own land. Is that the understanding with the voter rule? And maybe if you want to explain a bit about that as well. Certainly, this is a central point of contention. The anti-independent side, having gone to Paris and having met uh, French government ministers and the prime ministers, they put to France that there has to be a change of the constitution, which means an amendment to the provision that is in the Numea court that the so-called New Caledonian citizenship is restricted to long-term residents, that is, people who lived there in the 90s, and to indigenous Canex, uh, meaning that all the migrants from France who have arrived since the you know, turn of the century um, remain excluded from provincial elections. This uh, definition of the electoral body is key to finding a way forward. The anti-independent side says this has to go, this is sort of like a red line. Uh, France has to change this. The pro-independent side says no way that this can be changed. It is in the constitution that is the basis of this whole decolonization process and part of this gradual but permanent transfer of power from uh, France to New Caledonia. So this has to be protected. How this is going to be resolved is anyone's case, but it is a, a key problem facing the two sides here.
The South Pacific's official cyclone season starts today and already various Met services in the Pacific are predicting multiple events in the coming weeks and months. Something different this year though is that for the first time ever some Pacific Islanders are going into the season protected under a unique climate insurance solution. Implemented by the United Nations Capital Development Fund, more than 1,300 households have already been signed up in Fiji with up to 4,000 expected on board going into the cyclone season. And the aim is for 200 families also to be signed up in Vanuatu and Tonga this month. Joining me from the United Nations Capital Development Fund in Suva, Fiji, is Krishnan Narasiman, the Program Manager for the Pacific Insurance and Climate Adaptation Programme. Bula Krishnan, tell us more about this new solution. So it could be weeks and months after a disaster before any substantial uh, monetary relief flows. Now, what is the alternate? Can we introduce market-based mechanisms like insurance, which are small small amounts? The, the products that we have helped the market to launch in Fiji and Vanuatu is approximately about 500 to 1000 US dollars uh, for a category five event. So this covers the products that are available now. Uh, uh, they cover uh, cyclonic storms right from category one to category five. So obviously at category five, there will be highest payout up to $1,000. Then uh, maybe about $800 at the category four level, $600 at the uh, cat three level, $400 at the cat two level and uh, $200 or $300 at the cat one level. So what does it mean? So for a payment of a small, for a small premium, which could be as low as a dollar or $2 per week, a family gets an insurance for up to $1,000 cover, which can actually cover multiple events in a year. It can be a category one cyclone in the month of November, category two or three cyclone, but the maximum payout can be $1,000. And this is paid immediately and there is no need of any post-disaster verification. The, the beauty about this product is that it's based on predefined triggers. It's based on predefined indexes. The index is very simple. It says that cat one, cat two, cat three, cat four, cat five. A particular wind speed or a particular rainfall level has been reached. This is independently verified through remote sensing, through satellite imagery, through specialized agencies that have been appointed for monitoring these events. It sounds like a great idea, but the, like the, it feels and sounds like a welfare government subsidized type of a product rather than a commercial product. Where is the viability and, and the profitability for, because you're saying that this, this would be a private sector sort of model, right? Yeah. So, um, we have started with a market-based solution. When I say market-based solution, there is no subsidy involved. Yes. Uh, so you may ask that if there's no subsidy involved, how do people uh, pay the premiums? So the, so the most vulnerable and the poorest of the poor have to be given assistance. That is fully recognized. I do believe that in every country, there'll be a percentage of population that lives below the poverty line which is very vulnerable, which cannot afford to pay any premium for themselves. Such communities, such groups, such uh, 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 such such households have to be brought under the social protection umbrella for which the government or a donor has to pay a premium. But, but those who are uh, farmers and others like fishers and market vendors, 
who have an economic means, who have means of earning their own livelihoods, who are otherwise uh, having economic activities that give them income, have to provide for themselves. Now, I'm not saying it's it's easy going out there and saying, uh, like telling people that you should pay $50 or $100. It's, it's, it, it takes quite a lot of effort in building the financial awareness and competencies and building the skills of people. So the groups that have been covered so far in Fiji and last year there were 1,388 uh, households or people that were covered. Mostly they were uh, sugarcane, rice and copra farmers, root crop farmers, fishers, market vendor association uh, members, women especially. And also a few people were covered under the social uh, social welfare scheme. So the government, as you know, in Fiji, uh, like covers about about 85,000 people under its uh, welfare schemes. So we did a small pilot last year covering 274 uh, social welfare beneficiaries. So the smallholder farmers and fishers were all uh, covered through their respective cooperatives. And then we have introduced digital onboarding, so which means that there is very little paperwork done for people to join the scheme. They give the consent in an electronic format to the cooperative. The cooperative uh, takes the data on a tablet or, a, I mean, or on a mobile phone, transfers the data to the insurance company, which is in this case, uh, like local insurance company called Fiji Care, who issues the certificate of insurance. So it's a seamless process of how the data moves from the field to the insurance company and the certificate of insurance is issued. And like I said earlier, in the event of a, uh, I mean, I mean, of a cyclonic event, there is no need of any uh, law. I mean, even in fact, the beneficiary need not lodge a claim because the insurance company will get an automated information from the index monitoring agent, which is independent agent. So the insurance company will directly pay into the bank account or to the mobile wallet. In this case, M-Paisa or MyCash because the telephone numbers or the mobile numbers of all beneficiaries are captured at source. That's how the model operates. Are we talking conceptual here? Or is this in application in the real world right now in the countries you mentioned? So Fiji, it's real world. If there was a cyclone to happen tomorrow, by end of the week, the payment will be made automatically into the mobile wallet or the bank account. The whole ecosystem is in place. We have done dummy testing. Uh, and the whole system works. The, uh, we also launched a similar product in Vanuatu and on 8th of November, a product will be launched in Tonga. So, which means that by the time the cyclone season starts in the Pacific, three countries already have such products. The Pacific is strongly represented in the quarterfinals of the Rugby League World Cup in the United Kingdom. The final group game has been completed and the quarterfinal matchups found. Christina Persico has more. Going into the final match of the group stage, PNG needed to not lose to Wales by more than 22 points to make the playoffs. They did much more than that, beating Wales 36-0 in wet conditions. Hosts England, ranked second in the world, are next up for PNG in the quarterfinal. PNG coach Stanley Tuppend told Spark Sport his side will be up for the challenge. Look, um, obviously, um, you know, England's uh, a really, really good team um, and it'll be a big test for us, but look, we'll go back and um, uh, get ourselves right. Um, 
rest up and um, yeah, just work at things that we need to improve on. I know the players will be up for the challenge and um, yeah, we'll give it everything to um, yeah, get the win. The top eight fixtures will see Australia play Lebanon, followed by England and PNG, New Zealand and Fiji, and a blockbuster matchup between Tonga and Samoa. New Zealand was world number one coming into the tournament, and after the Kiwis' third victory, coach Michael Maguire told NRL.com he thinks his team is capable of going all the way. Ah, uh, definitely, I think so. Uh, yeah, the way the players are growing in the connections and the combinations, uh, well and truly. Yeah, we need to improve in where we are, but yeah, that's what you know going through a tournament's about. You you've got to make sure that our next performance is even better than what we've uh, been through. So to get the result, because um, you know if it is Fiji or whoever it may be, it's a step up in uh, in class. So we're obviously then going to move into the next one. The first quarter final between Australia and Lebanon is on Friday night UK time, Saturday morning for most of the Pacific. That's specific waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Bye for today, Tilly Lava, Tofasui Four.